Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today, the title is Facing Life's Challenges. Facing Life's Challenges, Joshua 3, 1 to 2. I'm sure here, no one here has any challenges, so most of you won't be able to relate to this. Um, have you ever faced an impossible challenge? An impossible challenge. Think of the biggest challenge you're facing right now. What is the big one, 2017, that you're facing right now, or that you ever faced? Think about that. Have you ever asked God, why? Why? Why are you leaving me hanging here? Why? How could you let this happen to me? Don't you care? Remember the apostles, the 12 apostles in the boat, and it's being flooded, and Jesus is sleeping, and they wake him up and say, don't you care? Don't we, don't we often feel that way? Well, we're going to see today that God has a reason for allowing challenges in our life, and that he does care. We're going to see that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for bringing each of us here. We know we're here for a reason, that your Holy Spirit wants to speak to us through your word and wants to help us take steps of faith forward. I pray that each one of, each one of us today, through the word, would, would be able to take another step forward in our, our walk of faith. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're... Looking at crossing the Jordan, and this is part one, calling it Facing Life's Challenges, but this is part one. But our story really begins, the little background really begins back in chapter one. And in chapter one, verse 10 and 11, it says this. This is where it really starts. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Joshua just replaces Moses. Moses, very popular, you know, president for 40 years. Uh, and, you know, parted the Red Sea and did all these miracles and brought the law. You all saw the Ten Commandments. Amazing. But Joshua has replaced Moses. And now God tells him that his very first job is to cross the Jordan River which had to seem very crazy to Joshua. Think about it. He just replaces Moses, and the very first command he gets is the last one ends a rotten egg. Right? That's the very first thing he's going to have to do here. How about a bridge? How about a boat? How about a lot of boats, right? A lot of people? How about a lot of boats? And yet, we're going to see that God picked the, most, uh, the best time to cross the Jordan. Why? Because it's the flood stage. He picked the flood stage. Joshua just takes over. He says, take him over the river. He picks the flood stage. You talk about a challenge, facing a challenge, right? This had to be a challenge of Joshua's faith. There's no more Moses. It's just him, him and God and the people here. And God takes him up to this flooded river and says, you're going to cross this river with the people. That had to be really scary for Joshua. Think about that. Now, I want to fast forward here to Joshua chapter 3, okay, which was what we're today. In Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we'll pick it up here, where it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp 
giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Wait till we get to that part next week, all right? So first of all, a type jumps out at us. Remember we talked about types? A type is an Old Testament picture of the New Testament truth, right? It's something that we see a picture of in the Old Testament that's fulfilled in the New Testament. Israel taking the land is a type. That's a picture of us taking our spiritual land. We're not taking a physical land now. We're taking a spiritual land. Just as they had to fight enemies, we have to fight our spiritual enemies. It's a physical picture of a spiritual reality. That's what a type is. And we see a type right here in these these few verses. The first one that jumps out at us is a number. Anybody see it? Three. Three days. What could that be a type of? We're going to take a lot of time in this in the next few weeks. Don't miss it. But three days is a type of the resurrection. The resurrection. Joshua, Hebrew, what's the, the, the Greek word? Jesus, same exact, right? Joshua, Jesus, uh, it means it's the same exact word. It's the same exact word. Joshua is a picture of Jesus. And we, they're at the Jordan River, and the Jordan River means judgment. It means judgment. It's, it's, a, it's a judgment for the sin that we've committed and the resulting death. That's a picture of death here. Judgment, death, uh, death because of our sin, that's what it's a picture of. It's a type. And Joshua had to wait. Three days before crossing over and before taking the people over. Wait till we get to that part. Awesome type there. Jesus had to wait three days. After his death on the cross, he waited three days before he could be resurrected and make a way for us to God. Same, it's the same picture. Now we're going to talk a lot more about that. But wild. Everything you see in the book of Joshua, connect it to the New Testament. It's all connected. It's all showing us a very important spiritual truth. But... There's also another very important lesson for us that God is teaching the Israelites and he's teaching each one of us today from these couple of verses, and it's easy to miss. You saw the three days already. Let's look at Joshua 3, verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. The Jordan is at flood stage. God picked... The most incredible time for them to, to cross this river, right? He waits for the flood stage. God could have picked any time to take them across. But he picks the flood stage. The Jordan River, anybody been to Israel before? Jordan River, not that big now. We don't know what it looked like back then, but it's not that big until it floods. All right? Even now, if that, the Jordan floods, it's impassable. It's impossible. Think of the Delaware River and the baptisms we've had there, Right? Last summer, we had to walk halfway across, right? Just, to, you know, the, it was knee deep almost the whole way across. Finally, about halfway out, a lot of you guys got baptized, about 15 of you last summer. We got about halfway across, and it was still was just about waist high, just finally got deep enough. We could have walked across the whole way, you know, and, and no problem, right? It was very, very shallow. But what happens when that Delaware floods? Some of you live near that river. You know what happens. It, you, don't, you couldn't get across it with a boat. You couldn't get across it with anything, right? It's very, very scary. And that's a picture of what the Jordan's like. Normally not that big of a river, but boy, when it floods, you cannot go across it. Just, just think of the Delaware. Same idea here. And God leads them to cross into the promised land at the worst possible time. The worst possible time. He lead, and he leads them 
humanly the worst possible time, right? He leads them to that river, and then he commands them to wait for three days. Three days. Why would he do that? Why would he lead them to the Jordan River, flooded Jordan River, and say, now sit there for three days? Why not one hour? Why not? What? Why? Because he wanted them to look at that for three days. And what were they probably thinking the whole time? There's no way we're going to cross this. And most of them weren't alive. They didn't see the Red Sea part. They weren't there with Moses. Remember that, that whole generation died off? This is brand new to them. Three days watching this flooded river. Where is Joshua taking us? If he had a wife, you probably know what she was probably saying. Joshua, you probably went the wrong direction. Let me see the map, right? This is like, this is crazy. Are you sure? He had to be thinking, God, did you really tell me to cross here at this time? And everybody, all the leaders probably questioning him and all the people probably questioning him. Where is he taking us, right? But why? Is this God's idea of a joke? No, he's teaching them a vitally important lesson on dependence. He's teaching them a lesson on dependence. You can't cross that river. You cannot take the promised land in your own strength. You can't do it. It's only going to be by faith in me. And we're going to see this as we go through the story. Crossing the Jordan, taking the land, taking the different cities. It had to be complete faith. He's teaching them a lesson that it's complete dependence and complete faith, and he's teaching us the same lesson. It's really for us. It's for us today. God does the same with us, doesn't he? He puts us in impossible situations. Impossible. And a lot of times we question, did I really, was I really supposed to move here? Was I really supposed to take this job? Was I really supposed to marry this person? Was I really supposed to have these children? Was I really supposed to, you know, we won't go there. But anyway, (laughs) we won't go there. Uh, No, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, uh, I was dealing with an issue yesterday with a car and, and the guy was looking at me like I was crazy, you know, with a car and the kid, and I said, and I have 13 of these kids. I'm going to have to do this 13 times. He said, God bless you. God bless you. But he puts us in impossible situations, and you may be in one today, and and even thinking, God, what are you doing? Well, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's showing us our helplessness, and he's humbling us. And often he needs to do it over and over again, doesn't he? Because as soon as we get out of the mess, what happens? We start to get in the flesh again. We start to get our pride again. We start to not worry. We start depending on God. We start to do things on our own, right? Well, you might know somebody like that. But, uh, but that's, that's what we do. And God has to put us over and over again. He puts us in a place where we can't get out of ourselves so that we will turn to him and rely on him. That's why he did it to them. That's why he did it to the Israelites. That's why he does it with us. It starts with salvation. Let's think about salvation itself. Can we save ourselves? Can we get from here to there? Can we get from here to heaven on our own, on our own strength? Can we do it? There's nothing we can do. Nothing. 
And we all must realize that before we can come to Jesus Christ and come to the cross and put our faith in him, we must realize that there's nothing we can do to deal with the sin problem that we have. There's nothing that we can do to face death someday. There's nothing we can do because we are cut off from relationship with God because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our sin nature. There's nothing we can do. And the crossing the river is a picture of that. It's a picture of salvation, which we'll see as we keep on going. Now, we have to come to the place we know that we cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot wash away our own sin. There's nothing we can do. Every religion out there, every man-made religion out there, they all have something to do. They have to earn their way into heaven somehow. Biblical Christianity is the only religion on this planet. And it's not a religion. We know it's a relationship, right? It's the only one that you cannot earn your way into heaven. You can only put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's the only one you can't work your way in. Biblical Christianity is the only one. The gospel is the only one that you cannot do something to get right with God. And we all have to come to that point where we know that we cannot cross this river. We cannot be saved. We cannot get to God in any way, shape, or form. We can't earn our forgiveness. We can't earn eternal life in any way. It's all God. That's where we all must hit that place where we realize that. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For it is by grace you, are sa- for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's by grace, which means gift. It's by putting your faith in that gift, not by works. There's nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. That's the first step, is coming to that point of knowing we cannot cross that river. We can't cross the Jordan of Judgment. We cannot get to the Promised Land. We cannot have a relationship with God on our own. It's all God. But then after we understand that, and many of you have have put your faith in Christ, I hope everybody does soon, where we say, God, I believe Jesus died for me, for my sin. I repent of that sin. I walk away from that sin. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. The moment you do that, you have crossed that river. You have followed Joshua, Jesus Christ, through that river, which we'll see. You followed them through, we have a brand new life. But after doing that, what often happens, after we know we can't save ourselves, it's all by faith, knowing that and putting our faith in Jesus, often, always, I'm going to say always, always what we often do is we, we shift into a different mode. We're saved by faith, but then what we do is we say, okay, now I've got to live this Christian life. And we shift into a flesh mode. We try to live the Christian life on our own strength. Thank you, God, for saving me now. I'm going to really try hard. I'm going to try really hard to live for you now, God. I'm going to really try hard to please you. And we try really, really hard. I call it white-knuckle Christianity. White-knuckle is when you hang on really tight and you try really hard. And we, we do it in our own strength and we try really hard to please God. But what happens? You couldn't save yourself. We couldn't save ourselves. We can't live this life on our own either. We can't do it. And so we end up frustrated. We end up defeated. Anybody can relate to that? We end up defeated and frustrated and angry at God. And it's not even what he wanted us to do. That's what we, that's what we try to do. We, we, we try to do it on our own. 
we try to do it in our own strength, and we end up frustrated, and we keep trying, and God just lets us keep trying until we realize we can't do it on our own. I remember one of our kids <laughs> was very stubborn as a, a little when he was little. He was stubborn, and now that he's big, he's still stubborn. But anyway, when he was little and stubborn, and you can probably try to guess who this is, uh, you have a 1 in 13 chance. Well, it's a boy, so 1 in 7 chance now. He, we would, I would, he'd be in his pajamas, and he was just a little guy, and I'd bring his clothes, and I'd say, okay, let's get you changed for the day. And, and he'd, I'd say, let's get you changed. And he'd say, uh, I, I'll do it. I do it, you know, and I'm going to I'm gonna get dressed myself. No, I knew he couldn't do it. I'm like, no, no, let me help you. Let me, let's just get this over with. No, and he would just be determined, and he wouldn't let me help him. I said, okay, I'd plop the clothes down there. And I'd just step back and I'd watch. And it was hilarious. I wish I had a video camera now. You know, you'd show it on one of these home videos, funniest home videos. And he would try to get his pajamas off and finally get them off. And then he'd try to get his clothes on and it'd be all tangled up and it'd be a mess. And, it'd be long. and I'd just leave. And I'd come back and now he's all red-faced, still fighting. Finally, about lunchtime, finally I come back and, and he's giving up. He's just sitting there giving up, you know, tears in his eyes and... Want me to help you? Yeah, okay. And then I get, I get him dressed, you know. Took me two seconds. But he had to do it on his own. And so many of times we're like that. We're like, God wants to help us. And no, I'm going to do this my way. And we make a big mess of something. Nobody here, but you probably know someone like that, right? And we make a big mess of it. And, and then we finally give up. We say, God, help me, which is what we should have said in the first place, right? And, and that so often, that's what we do. And God has to let us spin our wheels and wrestle with it and realize that, no, we're saved by faith, and we have to live by faith. There's saving faith, and then there's living by faith on a daily basis. Every one of us at some point has to put our faith in Jesus Christ, that saving faith. But then after we've done that, the Holy Spirit is in us. We have God's word, and then we have to live by faith. The complete dependence on God. Galatians 2.20. Great one to memorize if you don't have it memorized. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God. It, it, it's living by faith. It's that complete defendance. And, and we need constant reminders, constant reminders to depend on God in order to, to grow spiritually, to reach our spiritual potential, to... Uh, to for God to accomplish his purpose in our life. We're, we're created for a reason. He has a purpose for our life. And we have, to be, we have to live by faith and be in that complete dependence in order to do it. And that's why God left the Israelites sitting on this flooded river for three days. He wanted them to know something. Before you cross the river, before you can take this land, you're going to have to realize that you cannot do it. And that's why God keeps us waiting three days. <laughs> or sometimes for yours, or even a whole life. Remember Paul and his thorn in the flesh? He never got rid of it. The thorn in the flesh was there to constantly remind him of his need for God's grace. And sometimes God leaves it in our whole life. And why does he do that? To change us, to teach us patience, to teach us dependence, to kill the flesh, <laughs> to kill our pride, to, to break us. 
He has to continually break us so that we turn to him, so that we're not like this kid fighting on the floor trying to do it our way, and we finally surrender and let him accomplish his purpose in our life. And, and that's why he lets us go through that. He does it to prepare us for his purpose in our life. It's called refining. Refining through the fire, burning, burning out the garbage. It's refining. Look what he did with Israel. Three days there. But what happened even before that? Forty years wandering in the wilderness. That's how he prepared this generation to go and take that promised land. Remember? Moses. Forty years looking after the sheep. <laughs> Those stinking sheep. Forty years. Moses, that prepared him for what he was going to do with these Sheep, the Israelites, who are a lot more trouble than those sheep, right? David. How was David prepared? He kills the, kills the giant, and he's going to become the king, and where did he end up? In a cave. In a cave as an outlaw. Joseph. Joseph has the dream. You're going to be in charge of all your brothers. You're going to do very important things. So how did God prepare him? As a slave. In prison. God knows how to prepare us. How to prepare us. I know what he's used in my life. <laughs> to prepare me for what he wants to accomplish in me. What it, for, to prepare me for ministry. To get me ready for a new hope. To keep me soft. Constantly, constantly softening. It doesn't take a thorn. I have a thorn bush. You, know, <laughs> you have a thorn in the flesh? I got a whole thorn bush. If, you're, if we're facing a challenge today, if you're facing a challenge today, don't deny it. Don't minimize it. Don't self-medicate to try to get through it. Don't try to solve it in the flesh. Face it. Face the challenge and say, I can't do it. I can't. Only God can do this. Only God can deliver me. We, we must hit spiritual rock bottom. Those of you who have struggled with alcohol or drugs know what I'm talking about. You, in the AA and different things, you, you talk about rock bottom. That's why so many alcoholics and drug addicts turn to Christ. A lot of you have had, a lot of people in our church, we've struggled with that, right? But you know what I'm talking about. It's when you hit rock bottom that you, that you say, I can't do this. That's why so many turn to Christ, because they, they know they can't do it. They've hit rock bottom. They say, the only one who can help me is God. The only way I'm going to get out of this pit I'm in is with God's help. I, we, we, get as, we get as low, rock bottom, we get as low as we can get, humanly, as we can get. There's no human way out. Only God can help me. And every one of us must hit rock bottom, spiritual rock bottom. We must all realize that only Jesus can save me. There's nothing I can do. All I can do is reach out to Jesus to forgive me and to save me. Every one of us has to hit that place. And after we put our faith in Jesus, we have to stay at spiritual rock bottom. We have to stay there. And when we're at spiritual rock bottom, that's when we say, I can't live without you, God. I can't live without you. I don't want to live without you, and I can't live without you. I need you, totally need you. And it goes against our flesh, doesn't it? Because as soon as things go well, we're, we're on our own, we're doing okay. Then we hit the wall. 
Because it's a delusion. We totally need God. And he lets us go through these, this, this rock bottom for a purpose. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9. I'll pick it up a little bit way through here. He says, um, we were under great pressure. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's talking about all the trials that he went through as an apostle and as an evangelist and how the shipwrecks and the beatings. And all. He says, we, we comp- so much pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. But he says, why did it happen? Why did God let them go through this? Same reason he lets us go through it. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's why God lets us go through these things. What impossible challenge are you facing today? Maybe it's a trial in your life. Many different kinds of trials. Physical and spiritual and emotional trials. Maybe it's mental trials. Maybe it's a temptation that you're battling and it has got you by the throat and you no chance. Maybe it's a relationship struggle that you're going through. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you're even facing potentially dying. Maybe you've hit a wall in some other way. There's many, many walls that we can hit. What is God trying to teach us through this flooded river? What is he trying to teach us? What is he trying to, to, to get us to do? How is he trying to reach us? I was a... Uh, I did a lot of swimming. I was a lifeguard. I taught lifeguarding. And, and one of the things that we, we learn, one of the things that we learned, one of the things I taught whenever I trained lifeguards, I said, if somebody is drowning, don't ever swim up to them and try to save them. Take a life preserver and swim up to them and hand them the preserver. If they don't take the life preserver, don't try to help them. And if you don't have a life preserver, still don't go up and try to save them. I did it one time. I was at a swimming pool, and this little kid jumped off the diving board, and he didn't really know how to swim. And I'm like, you know, I was a college swimmer. I jumped in. I'm going to just grab this little kid. Little kid. He was probably about six. I don't know what he was. Little. I, just, you know, I was right by the edge of the pool, and I just figured I'd jump in and grab him and pull him out. Well, I'm telling you, somehow that little kid ended up wrapped around my head and Squeeze it, squeezing my head, it's gonna pop it like a zit. It was unbelievable. Whoosh! You know, just squeezing this prayer. I was like, I was like, how could a little kid squeeze anything that hard? You know? And he was panicked. He had adrenaline. He's gonna. If I had been out in the middle of the pool, I'd be dead. But I was only. I only had to just you know, grab that side. I was right by the side there. If I wasn't, I would have been dead. Because when someone's drowning, they're desperate. They got the adrenaline. They got the superhuman strength. And you should never try to help them because they they're they're trying to save themselves. Trying to save themselves. So what do you do? You swim out near them, stay far, close enough to call them and say, I'm here to help. Let me help you. Relax. Lay back. But they rarely do because they're in a panic. So when do you help that person? What's that? When they go under. When they've gone under. Not just under and come back up. and No, no. Once they go under for good. Once they've given up, and you've seen the movies, someone falls off the boat, they finally drown, they're just floating down, they've given up. Once they've given up and they go under for the last time and they're not fighting, they're just sinking down, down, down. 
Then you reach out and you grab them by the hair and you swim them to safety because they've completely given up. That's us. God can't save us until we totally surrender. Will we reach out our hand? Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, but will you reach out your hand for, for Jesus Christ and for his salvation and put your faith in Jesus Christ? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Every one of us must reach out. God gave his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place. He took our punishment and he rose again from the dead three days later to prove he was the son of God. Showed he had the power over sin and death. But we must, whoever believes in him, the word believe means to put your faith in, your trust in. It doesn't mean an intellectual ascent. It's a, it, it happens in the heart. It means to completely put your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Have you ever taken that step? Reach out to him and put your faith in him. And after doing that, even after we put our faith in Jesus, it still takes daily surrender, complete dependence, completely dependence. Will we wait for God? Will we depend on him and surrender to him and wait for him? Will we wait for him to deliver us, to show us the way, to to change that difficult person in our life, that boss or that spouse or that kid or that teacher? Maybe he's using them to change us. (laughs) We're praying that God will change somebody else and maybe God is using them to change us. That's what happens when we pray. All of a sudden God shows us these very interesting things. If we're... Maybe you're here and you're angry or you're frustrated or you're impatient. It's probably what God's trying to get at in us, right? If we're angry and at God and, and impatient and that frustrated, it's probably what he's trying to get at. There's that in our heart and in our life that he's trying to get at. It's kind of like that, remember that old ketchup commercial, Anticipation? Anticipation, it's keeping me away, yeah, 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 eating, right? They got the, the ketchup and you're waiting and waiting, but you're waiting for something good to finally come. And that's what we do spiritually. We patiently waiting, wait for God to bring good out of something and show us his good purpose. And it's usually the last thing we would have picked that he uses. It's the last person that we would have picked that he uses. It's the last thing we ever wanted to see. I'll close with this story. I saw it in the news. It says, The incredible night my autistic son taught us all a lesson about faith. It's by Terry, uh, I'm sorry, Tani Cullen. Josiah's fire, autism stole his words, God gave him a voice. Also with her husband, she did a documentary, Surprised by Autism. Some of you may have already seen it. But I just think it really brings out what, what this passage is all about. She says, on September 15, 2012, a profound statement glowed from an iPad that changed my life in a moment. But perhaps more astounding than the message was the messenger, an unlikely little boy just shy of his seventh birthday. My Josiah couldn't speak. He had a fleeting attention span, poor eye contact, and little body control. 
To look at him, you wouldn't suspect he had much capacity to think clearly, and certainly not to be deep. Josiah had once been a typical developing child who hit all his milestones. Then at 22 months, he suddenly and rapidly lost his words, social connections, and play skills. The boy my husband and I once knew looked like someone had switched off his light. We felt like a bomb had exploded in our faces, leaving us speechless and grief-stricken in the shrapnel. That diagnosis? Autism. No known cause, no known cure, lifelong. With little direction from doctors, we raced against the clock to try what was considered the most successful therapies. We tried special diets, alternative natural medicines, and even dives into hyperbaric oxygen chambers. We prayed, too, a lot. But where was God? Did he even see what was happening to our boy? When Josiah's fifth birthday came and left, and he still hadn't regained his speech, we had to face the painful reality that our only son would be in the 40% of people with autism who remained nonverbal. Despite all of our best efforts, he still landed firmly on the severe end of the autism spectrum. That September night, however, a divine gift landed in our dining room. For the last several months, I had been doing lessons with Josiah using a method that taught kids to spell as they pointed at letters. I had been making slow, incremental progress until that moment. While reading to him from the children's Bible... about how Jesus healed the blind man, I waited for him to spell the word heal on big alphabetical buttons on his iPad. Instead, he typed something different, and my mouth dropped open. He typed, God is a good gift giver. God is a good gift giver. His first independent sentence, where had it even come from? Until this point, he had only communicated through pictures and simple one-word spellings. As the days moved on, God is a good gift giver became our life statement, and God began proving that truth to our family. One letter at a time. Words poured off Joshua's pointed finger and onto his iPad. He began to write beautiful quotes and poetry that captured my heart, drawing me closer to God. I watched Josiah become more confident and less frustrated. Joy and hope sprang up from dry wells. Dreams reemerged. With everything I daily witnessed, faith became more fun, changing, charging me with expectation expectancy. In the face of suffering and loss, 
even the most faithful Christ followers ponder the question, is God good? But I've learned to ask a slightly different question. Do I truly believe God is a good gift giver? To me personally, therein lies the true test of your faith. Clearly, we encounter many difficulties that try to make us doubt God's goodness toward us. A bad doctor's report, a scary label, the list goes on. But what if God suddenly intercepted your life to captivate you by his goodness? That's what he did for me. It was simply a gift. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us today? Through his word in Joshua? What gift has he given us? What impossible challenge are we facing? Will we accept this gift and turn to him, surrender to him, Let him use it to grow our faith, teaching us to live by faith. Which is complete dependence on God. So that we can not accomplish what we can do, but we can accomplish what Christ can do in us. Maybe your prayer this morning is, God, I can't do it. I need you to do this. I need you to go through this. I need you to show me what you're trying to accomplish in my life and through my life. In the face of this impossible, flooded challenge in front of me. Maybe you're here today and you first need to receive the gift of life the gift of salvation. Has there been a time in your life where you surrendered to Jesus and gave your life to him? Putting your faith in him. 
you can do that right now. Right where you're sitting, right where you're standing, wherever you are. It takes a prayer of faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Just pray to God right from your heart. God, please forgive me. I repent of my sin. Anything in my life that goes against your will or your word, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus. I believe he died for me and came back from the dead for me. I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, you have just been saved. God has reached down into that water and pulled you out. Just like he's pulled many of us out. You now have been given a new life in Jesus Christ. Your life will never be the same again. I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've given your life to Jesus. Maybe you have a friend or family member here. Maybe you tell me on the way out, fill out the card, email, text, something. Let somebody know, let me know, let somebody know so we can encourage you in your new life in Christ. Father, I know when we walk out the door today, every one of us is going to face challenges. Father, I pray that each of them would remind us how much we need you and to be completely dependent on you. And I pray that your power then could flow in and through us because of that dependence and faith. I pray that you would encourage each one of us in the battles we're facing, give us hope in them that we know you are doing something eternal. You're accomplishing your eternal purpose through this. Give us that hope, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.